go to the book of Revelation. We're up to uh, the, the uh, seventh vial. We've been looking at this several times, and uh, this is the fourth session that we've had about these vials. And something to keep in mind about the vials is that the Lord has been extending uh, grace and mercy and compassion for five 1,000, 6,000 years, and all of the sin and disobedience and injustice in the world has been filling up those vials, one right after the other. And these the seven storage containers contain the wrath of God. So we've looked at six of them, and notice that we, we noticed last time that after the fifth vial is poured out, the, uh, it's poured out on the Antichrist's kingdom and his seat, and it drives him out of Jerusalem, and they go out to battle, and uh, there's this counterattack to reclaim Jerusalem, and that's what the Battle of Armageddon is all about. The beast goes forth to gather all those kings to battle, and particularly the kings of the east come, and it is, it is from that counterattack that the Lord returns to deliver Jerusalem and to deliver his people Israel in the valley of Jezreel, in that plain uh, just outside of Jerusalem. And so that's, that's a little bit of where we have come from. We're looking now at uh, a quick recap of the sixth vial, and that is uh, where the king's come, the, uh, the, the Euphrates is dried up and the kings come across the Euphrates. We talked about several parts of that battle, uh, the reality of it and so forth, but let me mention the result of the battle, all right? And that should be your first blank there, uh, the sixth vial. We saw the directives of the battle revealed, and the, and the result of the battle is that there are uh, 200 million gathered, and that's just from the east, not even counting the west, <clears throat> and they come. And the Lord sees that area uh, like a wine press. And he comes down and he uh, stomps all over the armies of the world like little grapes. And uh, as distasteful as that is, remember, it, this is the sixth vial <clears throat> that is containing the wrath of God. This has been going and going and going and going, building up for all these thousands of years. And the Bible tells us, actually, uh, we're looking at Revelation, but we're going to look at a quick verse in chapter 14. Look at chapter 14, verse number 20. Revelation 14, 20. All right, here we go. 1420, it says, The angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six furlongs. So what we're talking about here is God said that the stream is going to be a stream of blood or... Or, you know, uh, we know that all the waters have been turned to blood, but there's going to be even more blood that's going to be going three feet high for 160 to 200 miles long. And uh, I used to think that this was talking about, like, the entire region is going to be filled up. Well, not necessarily, but there's going to be a stream of blood. And of course, you see this um, in any movies that you might watch about war. Often it's a common thing where you'll see blood in the water. And, of course, you know, we talk about that with sharks 
And, and there's something that's, that's really eerie about that. And this is not just blood in the water, but this is a stream of blood. And that's how many people are being um, destroyed by the Lord. And so he says, give place under wrath in Romans. Why? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And, you know, we think about that. He, he's, he's not talking about... Um, He's not talking about God's going to take vengeance out on, on his people. His vengeance is actually going to be taken out on his enemies. And, uh, and yet still, our God, who can be trusted with wrath and, and, and store wrath for his enemies, how much more should we be careful in, in, in saying, look, vengeance is mine about believers. I think we've got to be careful about that. Uh, sometimes we may think, yeah, Lord, strike them down, knock them dead. And uh, remember that the Lord's wrath is stored up against the day of wrath towards enemies of God. And so uh, just something we, I've heard quoted here and there, uh, vengeance is mine. And I just don't think that God's going to be taking any vengeance on believers. Um, Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. But uh, I think vengeance is a really strong word to be using about, about believers because a believer has already had the wrath of God poured out on Christ. He has had that substitute. And so as irritating as we might, irritated we might be towards a believer, uh, it's actually the, the fact that they've been forgiven in Christ is a, is a big help. Remind ourselves of that. We're going to be in heaven together. No matter what happens. And you say, how could God let that? Well, look in the mirror. How could God let you into heaven? You know, and it's understandable. I'd have never sinned like they have sinned. Except, what about the people who are bitter at me for things I don't even remember I did? It's just interesting how we see it from one angle. So vengeance is mine. That's, that's talking about the great day of the wrath of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> we're going to look at the seventh vial now. With the pouring of the seventh vial. And by the way, you can't appreciate the good news until you realize how bad the bad news is. This is really bad news for, for people on the earth, the inhabitants of the world at this time. That's why we can say it is truly good news that Jesus Christ died for sinners and that you and I can be with him forever in heaven. All right, now, with the pouring of the seventh vial, the damnation of Babylon is realized. The damnation of Babylon is realized. Let's go to chapter 16, and let's look at verse 17. He's going to show us five great things in this passage that take place as the seventh vial is poured out. So I want you to, to mark them uh, as you go. If you want, you can mark them in your, in your text. Uh, this is how you learn the Bible, starting uh, to notice similarities and noticing differences. It helps you to remember. So Revelation 16, he says, And the seventh angel, down to verse number 17, 16, 17, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice. There's great number one. Out of the temple of heaven, from the throne, saying, it is done. This is the declaration of the great voice. Now let's look at uh, this verse, phrase by phrase. Notice, it's the seventh angel. Seventh angel, a number of completion or perfection in the Bible, and it has special significance in the book of Revelation. Uh, It appears 59 times in Revelation, which is... Uh, Revelation is the completion of God's perfect word. And, and, and in, uh, in Revelation, in this pouring out of the seventh vial alone, 
The word great is found seven times, and his wrath is contained in seven vials. And uh, interesting, when the Lord was on the cross, he spoke seven different times. And uh, that was when God was pouring out his wrath on sin in the person of Christ. And here, God is pouring out his wrath on sin. And we find seven as a, a number being significant as, again. So the, words, the word great is found several times here. But letter B, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. Okay, now, uh, we're going to look at the end. We're going to look at how the, the uh, different vials, what they were affected, what the target was. We'll see that in a minute. Uh, at the end, rather. But, but here, notice, he pours it out of the air. So from this point on, this, remember, chapter 16, it, it's a recurring theme of the judgments that God pours out, and then the, the uh, battle of Armageddon, which culminates in the return of Jesus Christ. So when you get to chapter 17, you're going to see judgment again. But that is... That it's part of the storyline that's already occurred. Chapter 17, he's going to judge Satan's religious system. When you get to chapter 18, he's going to judge the political system. Chapter 19, he's going to judge Satan's armies. And then when you get to chapter 20, uh, at the beginning, you've got the dragon himself that is judged. Because those things are, uh, have already taken place by the time we get to the end of Armageddon. So just keep that in mind. It's, it's like reading a book or watching a, a story of some kind where they keep having different parts and they have flashbacks. How many remember watching movies before everything was a flashback and a prequel? You know, it's crazy how everything is just, oh yeah, this is what happened before that, before that, before that. But it, it is kind of like what the book of Revelation does. It gives you a theme, an underlying re- repetition of the narrative, and then there will be parts of the story that have already occurred, but they don't happen until later in the chronological, not in the chronological, but in the, uh, in the chapters. And you go, wait a second, where is this? Well, that actually is describing what already took place. And the Lord is putting together, if you will, uh, a puzzle with multiple different tiny pieces, and he's pulling it all together. But if, you, if you're like me... Uh, I don't stare at one corner of the puzzle until I get it fixed. I back up and I work on this section and then I try to I basically work on any section I can work on to see if I can find anything. And if I find anything, I'm like, well, work right there. That's kind of like what the Lord's doing. There's different parts that he's focusing on and then the whole thing comes into, into uh, the correct picture at the end. All right, let's, get, let's continue. Now, th- this seventh angel being poured into the, uh, pours his vial into the air. The Bible says two things about Satan. It says he is the God of what? He's the God of this world, and he is the prince of the power of the air. So notice the two things, the world and the air. And here, the angel's pouring out his vial into the air. In the sixth vial, you see God judging Satan uh, and, and his domain on the earth through the beast and the false prophet. When you get to the seventh vial, he judges Satan's domain in the air. And uh, that's an important thing. I want you to hold your place uh, in, in Revelation, coming back there. But look at a very important verse in Job chapter 15. Go to the middle of your Bible, go back one book from Psalms to Job, and look at chapter 15. Because this is... Uh, we sometimes think that everything in the world is physical here and there's nothing else spiritual till you get to heaven. And that's not the case. The Bible says that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against 
powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against, what's the last one? Spiritual wickedness, where? In high places. He's not just talking about wickedness and, and corruption in government. Certainly, the devil has his way in government. But uh, he's the God of this world. But spiritual wickedness in high places, something, something beyond just government. Look at Job chapter 15. 15 verse 15. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. The heavens are not clean. And why is that? The air is polluted with principalities and powers and uh, rulers and so forth in that domain. And God is going to clean it up. He pours a vial of wrath into the air. Now, I want you to think about this. The Lord has already gone into the domain of Satan. He came here on this earth. And then he is going, by this point in, in the chronology, in the storyline of the earth, uh, this is yet future, but God is going to give the devil another punch right in his living room. Where does it say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. What does that mean? The Lord comes down out of the third heaven. We leave the earth and we meet him in the devil's living room, so to speak. He's the prince of the power of the air and we meet him there. Why? God can do whatever he wants. He's not intimidated by Satan. In fact, he baits Satan. Somebody called it, and I don't know if I shared that with you. I thought it was great. Someone called the Garden of Eden a dragon trap. God intentionally lured Satan there. We think, well, Satan got in and he got Adam and Eve, and yeah. But don't you realize that uh, the Lord had a plan all along? And it was because of the rebellion of, of, of Lucifer that God decided to go with man and to, to do a completely different thing. It's an interesting story, but, but I, I just can't get away from this idea. The Lord, um, he meets us in the air. And then the Bible, you know what the Bible tells us? Look at 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What happens with our bodies? 1550. Look at chapter 15, verse 50. Okay, he said 1550. Uh, Now this I say, brethren. Why did God have to meet us in the air? This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Okay, so we had our bodies are corrupt, right? We see that. Uh, verse number 43 or 42, it is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Okay, well, where does this stuff change? He said, uh, verse 51, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, we shall be changed. Well, where does this stuff happen? It says in verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Well, just something to think about. We know we meet the Lord in the air. Uh, when the trumpet sounds, the dead are raised incorruptible. How far down does the Lord come to meet us in the air? Well, I don't know. It's, if, he's raised, if you're raised incorruptible, sounds like it's, it's not in the ground, but it's pretty close. 
Could it be that the Lord comes all the way down just like when he ascended? He came, he was on the ground and he ascended up, comes all the way back down to this earth? I don't know. It's something for you to think about. But notice it says, when this corruptible, verse 54, shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Okay, so if you put loved ones in the ground, God has not given them the final victory yet. They've got the final victory for their spirit and for their soul, but not for their body. Their body is still corrupted. That's why they take all the blood out of it. Try to preserve, embalm the body as long as possible so it doesn't rot. And I'm glad that they do. But there's going to come a point where it no longer works and your body is going to be corrupted. I don't understand how God does all of that, but I know this. He is intending to fix your physical body. But what does he do? Philippians, uh, and by the way, we already talked about this a while ago, about the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Okay, so adoption is still yet forward. We're adopted, yes, as, as sons of God, as daughters of God, but there's a part of your body that has not yet been accepted by God. Flesh and blood cannot enter into the kingdom of God. By the way, in your body is the flesh. I don't know where in your body it is, but I know this. When you die, you don't have to worry about your flesh anymore. <laughs> where your spirit and soul go to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord, right? But your body still has a beef with God. It's still not interested in doing the things that, that, that the spirit wants to do. So the Lord says, I saved every part of you. One of them, we, I had to put a pin in it because I'm just going to do the whole thing at once. I'm coming back and I'm going to change everybody's vile body. And then we're going to meet the Lord in the air. And that's what he said. Who shall change our vile body? That's in Philippians. Change our vile body that it may be made like unto his glorious body. So, you know, sometimes we get this idea that, we, you know, we're going to be up there in heaven. And then somehow or other, like, what, is, what, what bodies do we have? The body is changed by God. And apparently it's changed here before we go up there. And so the body then can travel through the heavens and travel like God. Jesus Christ had a, his glorified body, had the power to walk through closed, I mean, just float through closed doors, to ascend, right? All of that uh, stuff you see in science fiction, uh, you know, portals of uh, time travel and things like that, being able to, you know, light speed, hover, whatever they call it. All of that stuff is just a type of what is coming for the believer. So you may be hurting right now. Uh, I've been thinking about my knee today. My knee. What's going on with my knee? You know what's happening? My body's dying. Your body is dying. But the Lord has already, he already has planned for a corrupted body, and he's going to fix your body, and he's going to give you a brand new body. But it's going to be like, like, like way better. Way better. Amen? So don't be discouraged today. By the way, somebody, somebody was saying something about preparing for change, right? If you, if you want everything to stay the same, then anything that changes is a bother. If you expect, you expect things to change and to, generate, to degenerate, then you're a little more prepared for it. Like you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to die. Isn't that an encouraging thought? Amen? Or you can just fight it tooth and nail. I'll never die as you die. So, 
So what I just find wonderful is that of all the places that, that God cho- could choose to change this, it's somewhere in the air, right where Satan's domain is. And so I'm glad that the Lord is judging the air. And of course, other things come. Now, let's look at letter C, and you're back in your, uh, in your outline, and look at Revelation 8. Look at Revelation 8. You're going to see in verse number 1, it says, When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Chapter 11 now, chapter 11, look at verse 15. Revelation 11, 15. 11, 15. And the seventh angel sounded, here's the seventh trumpet, and there were great voices in heaven. Okay, so you've got a, a different thing. This is the seventh Trumpet, not the seventh seal. There's a distinction here. They're not all the same thing, but there is overlap. Notice there was silence in the seventh seal. Now, seventh trumpet, there's great voices. Okay, then chapter 16. Chapter 16, where we were. And notice 17, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. There came a great voice. See the voice? There's, there's some type of noise, and that's letter C. There came a great voice out of the temple from the throne. This voice is great in terms of its volume, a great voice, a loud voice. It's great in terms of where it came from, came out of the temple from before the throne. Okay? And it's great in terms of whose voice it is. It's the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. This great voice. And what is he saying? He's saying, it is done. And does that remind you of when Jesus said something similar? John chapter 19, he said, it is finished. John 19.30. What's, uh, again, you see the parallel of the God of love and the God of wrath over and over again throughout the book of Revelation. Because the seventh vial is completing the pouring out of God's wrath. And just before Jesus comes to earth to judge sin, he says, it is done. But remember, Jesus Christ already was judged as sin for us, and he said, it is finished. What is that? The work of redemption. He had suffered at, in the flesh and pleased his father. He had, he had received that suffering that you and I deserved. Okay? And so at that point, he shed his blood to pay all of our sins. His blood is shed, and right before he dies, he says, it is finished. The God of love says, as far as your debt For sin is concerned, it is finished, it's paid for. But then we see here that if you do reject that God of love, then one day you're going to hear the God of wrath saying, it is done. It is done. What is that? I'm finished judging the earth, and I am going to come down, and I'm going to take care of business personally. So that is, it is done. And then we go into verse number 18, back to 1618, the devastation of the great earthquake. It says, there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. There's great number two. Such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and great. First of all, notice voices and thunders and lightnings. Generally, these are connected with the presence of God. You find that when uh, Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the law of God. There was thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud and a voice of the trumpet. And that's the presence of God. You see that as well in Ezekiel, uh, where Ezekiel uh, hears this, he, he sees the fire, out of the fire went forth lightning, 
and he heard the voice of the Lord, and it was the glory of the Lord, Ezekiel chapter 1, and it says, he fell upon his face. All right, so the voices and thunders and lightnings, um, uh, Frank Baum made fun of that in his Wizard of Oz, if you remember. There's lightnings, and there's this great voice that's yelling, and uh, what all it is is just a, you know, a shoe salesman or somebody behind the curtain. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And uh, it was his way of kind of sticking his finger in God's eye. And, and, and yet, it, by the way, remember there was an emerald rainbow and all that stuff behind the throne and, and, and emerald city. And, uh, but that's just a mock of the truth that there is voices and thunders and lightnings that are coming out of the throne. And uh, it's a scary thing. It's not just, you know, waltz in and there's Jesus. It's, uh, you know, Jesus just, uh, he's, he's my boy. He's my, he's my guy. Uh, in, in this case, he's not your guy. You don't want to get close to this throne. And because it's talking about the awesome presence of God. But then specifically, if you go back to Revelation 4, specifically, not just the presence of God, but these things are connected with the wrath and judgment of God. The wrath and judgment of God. Four, chapter 4, verse 5, out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And uh, look at chapter 8, verse 5. Chapter 8, verse 5. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire of the altar, cast it into the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. It's talking about the judgment of God. One more look at uh, chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 19. Chapter 11, verse 19, he says, And the temple of God was opened in heaven. There was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. We understand. We'll see some of that here. So this is uh, the, the third time mentioned. And then chapter 16, where our text is tonight, that's the fourth time that's mentioned, this phenomena in the book of Revelation. And so this is a connected. This is this is saying it's it's not that all you know all is well in heaven. Everyone's just having a great time, and that's what we normally do. It's connected with the wrath of God. He's fired up. You know, typically when something is sparking, it's not on purpose, except when it's a welder who has two hundred and twenty volts going into this welder and you can have all kinds of power maybe there's more than that, I don't even know and, and, and uh, th- th- that spark is on purpose why? something's about to change elements are about to melt things are going to happen that don't happen in the natural world uh, the power has been harnessed and it's being put into something and so that's what we find here uh, the wrath and judgment of God and then one other reference is it's, it's, these things are connected to Christ's coming prophetically, his coming. So it's kind of uh, the warm-up, as it were, and then the pitch. Something's happening, it's moving, there's, there's major things are about to start, and then the delivery is the Lord is putting his feet down on the earth. Psalm 77, verse 18, the voice of thy thunder was in the heaven, the lightnings uh, lightnings lightened the world, the earth trembled and shook. That's uh, the Lord's coming. And then it says in Revelation uh, 16, it says, so mighty and so great. So mighty and so great. That's the phrase. 
I want you to look at Isaiah 24. Isaiah 24, and look at the passage, which is, uh, Isaiah is just jam-packed with prophecies. Isaiah 24, and look at it says in verse number 19. Isaiah 24, 19. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage. And the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and it shall fall and not rise again. So might it sound like a devastating earthquake. Uh, Take your Bible and look at Haggai. Haggai or Haggai, go forward to the right. It's not for the faint of heart, but you can find it. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. This is for my parents. They're not feeling well. They're at home tonight in case my mom's listening. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. That's how I learned the books of the Bible. And if you'd be happy, I'll sing that song to you sometime, help you, if you'd like me to. Haggai, look at chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2, look at verse number 6. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations And the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The desire, we sing that in our Christmas song, come, desire of nations, come. That's what it's talking about. Uh, The desire of all nations shall come. That's Jesus Christ. The desire of all nations is Jesus Christ. We all want the leader. We just fight about who it is because all we have is humans, and they do stupid stuff. And so we fight over which one it should be. But we all have, everybody in America has an ideal leader. On the Republican side, the Democrat side, they have an ideal. And the truth is, anything that would be good in any political party, anything good, is just a small reflection of Jesus Christ, who will come back and rule the earth. He is the desire of all nations. And uh, notice, though, before he fills the house with glory, he's going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea. It's almost like the Lord is saying, Would you listen to me? He's really, really upset and irritated. He gets a hold of the earth and he says, I'm going to get your attention. And he does. What happens? Well, it tells us here, he said, uh, well, we saw it in Isaiah where it says, the earth is moved exceedingly. Uh, It shall fall and not rise again. And that's the next part of Revelation 16. Where it says, the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. That's 1619. The city of the nations fell. So the magnitude of this earthquake is going to cause the earth to reel, to shake, and and level the cities. And you can imagine in in John's time, there have been earthquakes throughout history, but you can can imagine John thinking about uh, Jerusalem or Rome or maybe Alexandria. But think about it for us. The nations, I mean, we've been watching um, uh, the Gaza Strip where Israel is literally setting all kinds of explosives, and, and they are leveling Gaza. And, uh, but that same thing happens in earthquakes without explosives. 
when it shakes, the weight of the building just starts coming down. The whole thing, it, 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 you know, falls on itself. We saw this in uh, 2001, September 11th, when uh, those planes went into the buildings. The whole thing, like, where did all that stuff go? It went down into the, the hole in the ground that's underneath it. And that's what's going to come. Except it's not going to be uh, a plane that flies into it or an explosive. It's going to be the Lord who's going to cause a great earthquake. A great earthquake where buildings are going to be leveled. It doesn't matter what kind of uh, you know, special architectural design they have for the building. It's coming down. There's not going to be a single skyscraper left standing all over the planet. Uh, we look at Toledo. You know, what do people have? Uh, Toledo or, or Boston you know, or Miami. You know what it is? It's always the skyline. And what's the skyline? It's the best that man can do. We can build up, 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 up. We can, we can get more out of less. And you're a really big deal if you have a, you know, a business in the biggest building in town. Or some bringing it all down. I'm tired of it. I'm sick and tired of your, your little towers that you constantly build. I'm going to shake it and it's going to be level. And, uh, you know, you, we see, it's interesting, we're right in the middle of a parallel with Israel and Gaza and how, what happened? Israel is performing, uh, is performing operations that it w- probably has wanted to perform for decades, and it should have been performing at least for decades. I mean, they should have been in there, but they've been trying to be nice. They've been trying to provide a, uh, a two-state solution and so forth. I saw somebody talking about a, you know, a 23-state solution or something like that. They said, we already have that. It's all the other countries, all the other you know, Muslim countries in the world. Uh, we were already working with that. And by the way, we know that the two-state solution was already tried with, uh, with Transjordan. And uh, they didn't even know what to call it, so they called it... Over the Jordan, over there in the desert, Transjordan, now known as Jordan. I mean, we've already had that solution for many, many, many years. But you watch how uh, we, we think eh, the whole world is, is liberal and they're all, you know, but here's the thing. UN is a bunch of nonsense people, right? They're saying a bunch of stupid stuff. And there are certain countries that are standing with Israel against the UN. Do we live in crazy times or what? You know the reason why? The reason why is because Israel's wrath filled up on October 7th. And they're going in methodically and surgically destroying all of that infrastructure. And you know, you, you and I understand it. You know why we understand it? Because all, we've all seen pictures or videos of what they did on October 7th. The rape, the mutilation, the beheadings, the burning, the stabbing, the shooting... The absolute genocide of anybody in that, in that area where they attacked. And so we all sit back and say, yes, it makes sense that those buildings are coming down. And, and, and if we can multiply that by a trillion, that's what God has been watching. You know, the, the, the day of the Lord uh, is, is called the day of the Lord for a reason. A thousand years is one day. It's been a week since God started this thing, and he hasn't forgotten in a week's time what mankind has done. So he is, it's fresh in his mind. The eternal God is, is very aware of every single sin that has been done. And not just the sins of, of the flesh, but the sins of the mind too. He's keeping track of all that. So by this time, the Lord is just knocking buildings down. And that's why it says, the cities of the nations fell. Now look at uh, chapter 16, verse 20. 
where he says, And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Wow. The, 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 the Philippines, Puerto Rico, Hawaii, they just completely dissemble and they disappear under the waves. There's not a mountain on the earth that's left standing. Let's go on, Roman numeral 3. The division of the great city. And we're going to go back a little bit here. Look at verse 19. God is going to single out two key cities in the world. It says here, uh, And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So when the earthquake hits, all the cities of the world are going to be demolished except for one. And that one, he calls the great city, and it's divided into three parts. So what is the great city? That's the big question. The great city. Well, from a human perspective, um, there's one particular city on on a regular basis that is getting more attention than any other city in the world. There's one city that's always in the news. Uh, It's the most contested piece of property on the entire face of God's earth. And it's also a city, by the way, that is named the city of peace. And yet it is fought over more than any other city. God's perspective on this city is found in these verses that I gave you. Psalm 137, it's a city that God will not forget. In in verse 6, it's the preferred city. It's the favored city. It's God's chosen city. It's called the city of God. It's called the city of the great king. In Revelation chapter 11, it is called the holy city. And in chapter 11 verse 8, it's called the great city as well. What is this? Where also our Lord was crucified. It's the city of Jerusalem. The great city. It's great because of what happened there in history. It's great because of what is happening there now. And it's great because of what is going to happen in the city of Jerusalem. And when you study out the, 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 uh, the Old Testament, particularly Ezekiel, you find that, there, that in the Garden of Eden, Lucifer had a throne. And Scripture seems to indicate that the Garden of Eden is somewhere located in around the city of Jerusalem. It's a theory. I'm not the only one with it, but it certainly seems to have a lot of weight because uh, it is the throne where the Bible says that Lucifer had a throne there in Ezekiel 28. And then we know that the Lord is coming back and he is going to sit on a throne where? In Jerusalem. Lucifer had a throne. And he had the sons of God, right? Jesus comes back. He sits on a throne in Jerusalem. And who does he rule over? He has people like you and I that are ruling with him. And we're called the sons of God. Remember, he said there in John chapter 1, as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We are spiritually, not, we're not angels by any stretch, But spiritually, we are the sons of God. And Satan knows that Jesus is coming back to rule on that throne. He knows that. And what is he doing? He is battling for that throne. That's what it's all about throughout Scripture. He's battling for that throne. And and people say, you know, um, don't be so earthly minded, you know, heavenly good. Well, don't forget, people uh, people say, don't fight about politics and religion. That's, that's what we've always done as humans. 
We fight over politics and religion. Why? Because it's all one and the same thing. It's all connected. The difference is, for you and I, we don't have... He, Jesus said, my kingdom is not, uh, is now is not from hence. We're in a little parenthesis, the church age, where it's not about whoever has the most property wins. You know what property God wants? He wants the human heart. He wants us to go after people's hearts. He said the kingdom of God is within you. He wants us to uh, claim, through the gospel's power, claim territory for Jesus. And building buildings is great, and it's important. It's a tool, but it's only a tool that helps us accomplish the mission. See what I'm saying? The Catholic Church has been doing this for years. You know, they did this in Europe where you buy uh, the best piece of property up on the hill and you put a steeple up so everybody knows that you're there. And it's like, we won this town. And there's nothing wrong with having a steeple. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a church building. Obviously, we're very thankful for it. But, but you realize it's not about gaining ground here. All, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Our job is to gain souls. Because the Lord's coming back and taking over the whole thing anyhow. Right? So you don't have to worry about, do we win? Like, do we? Oh, yeah, we win. Actually, we don't. He wins. He wins. We get to watch. But Satan's been fighting tooth and nail to make sure that Jesus can't take the throne. Do you find it interesting? I find it interesting. Why is Hamas fighting as if it's going to win? Like, we, we just look historically. We know that, that, that Israel just is going to survive. From Scripture, we know that they're going to survive. But isn't it interesting to watch them act like they're going to win? And the thing goes up and down and up and down. Israel, they call it the eternal city because it truly is. It is where the Lord will come. And so what's happening in the seventh file is that God is getting Jerusalem ready. He's getting it ready for him to come. And he's going to divide it in three parts. Now, we've got to look at Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14, back to Matthew and go left. Hang a left. Go back to Zechariah. Man, this is a great passage. Oh, my. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 1 tells us, this is the day of the Lord. And verse 2, he's gathering all nations against Jerusalem. Look what happens. Just similar to what Hamas did recently. Uh, The the houses rifled, women ravished, half the city go forth into captivity. All right, verse 3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. So it's going to split in two. I don't understand how this um, is connected Uh, I don't know that it's directly connected with the earthquake, but you can see how topographically there's major changes happening. This mount is getting split. So he, he, he creates a new valley that runs east and west. And no doubt it's going to remove thoughts of the Valley of Jezreel, the the Battle of Armageddon and all that. He's going to create a new valley. And then look at verse 8. It shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea. So the spring of water is going to be flowing year round. And it's going to be going from Jerusalem to the Mediterranean, from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea. 
Uh, and, and, and so then look at verse number nine. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall there be one Lord and his name one. And then watch this. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba or Geba to uh, uh, Ramon south of Israel. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place. So Jerusalem is divided into three parts. And it's elevated, and the surrounding area is flattened into a plain. So it, it makes me think of before the flood, before then, there was a great judgment of God on the earth because of Lucifer's rebellion. And remember, where's Jerusalem? If it's in the Garden of Eden, he said, that was been in, you've been in the Mount of God. And then somehow the judgment of the earth happened. And, of course, the flood later on happens. There was major topographical changes that happened at that point. But the Lord's coming back, and he's going to lift up Jerusalem, the Mount, of, the Mount Zion, and everything else is going to be flat. So what, what man has been trying to do with their skyscrapers, the Lord's going to do with his mountain. Uh, we haven't got any, it's interesting, we haven't, as far as I know, we've, man is not real good at making mountains other than mountains of garbage, landfills. But the Lord not only can build buildings, and he's going to make the temple, the Lord can, can make topographical changes so that he, he can build a mountain and put his city on top of that. Isn't that cool? I just think it's amazing what God's going to do. He, he, this, this earthquake is going to help to renovate Jerusalem so it can fulfill its role in the millennium. The Lord's going to come and he's going to reign for a thousand years uh, over this earth. Look at verse number 12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Remember, they came up against Israel, came up against the Lord. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Wow. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. That's what the Lord is going to do when he returns. Now, we've got to finish up here. Let's look at uh, back to chapter 16 of Revelation. Revelation 16. 16, 19. We're going to talk lastly about the damnation of great Babylon. The damnation of great Babylon. It says in verse 19, The great city was divided into three parts. The cities of the nation fell. And great Babylon, there's the fourth great, came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. The worst judgment is reserved for Babylon. It's going to be damned by God Almighty himself. And we'll go into greater detail when we get into chapter 18 because it's simply a commentary on this phrase uh, in chapter 16. It's talking about the damnation of Babylon. And, and the scripture seems to indicate that this place is going to have to drink the vial of God's wrath in one hour. God's going to pour out his, this vial and it's going, to, it's going to have to be consumed by them. Now, we won't go for a sake of time. We will skip over uh, Babel and Babylon and so forth. There's a lot there. But Babel and Babylon represent the kingdom of Satan all the way through the scripture. And so, at, as this vial is pouring out, look what it says. Great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine. So, as this vial is pouring out, God's reminded of Babylon and her evil history throughout the ages and, uh, and what does he do? He is forcing her to drink that 
5,000 years or so of God's great wrath. It's going to, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. She did that. She did that. She did that. And it's all coming out at one time. Now, lastly tonight, the destruction of the great hail, 1621. It says, there fell upon men a great hail, there's the fifth great, out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. So these are people who have taken the the mark of the beast, uh, taken part of the kingdom of the beast, and they have, remember, excruciating sores all over their body. And then they have this incredible, because they have no water to drink, just blood, they have this thirst. And, uh, you know, what happens uh, when, you, when you get severely dehydrated, your tongue starts getting black and, and, uh, and purplish and, and lips are bursting. Um, and, and it's just a, a, a horror, excruciating pain. And then the sun starts beating down on them. And so they have these second, third degree burns on their body because it's sevenfold more than normal. Uh, and, and, and then God turns out the light. And now all of these sores and, and this, uh, this pain, and now there's darkness. It's like hell. You, you, you had the burning and then the darkness. And in the midst of all that darkness, all of a sudden you start feeling the ground shaking. It's the great earthquake. And the, the buildings are coming down all around you. And uh, mountains are coming down. The cities are falling in. And, and God is shaking the earth. And you're trying to look around. You're going, how is this, you know, how can, what can I, and all of a sudden now what happens is these hailstones start to drop. Now you, you've heard people talk about, you know, marble size. You talk about um, golf ball size hail. And uh, down in Texas they had, you know, some Pretty good size uh, softball, uh, baseball size hail. Uh, You can look up 18, I think 1803 in France. They had this uh, grapefruit sized hail and so forth. This is is talent sized hail. Well, it's a talent. Well, the best that I could come up with is a talent. Uh, There's different different weights. In, in, In Egypt and Greece, a talent was 86 pounds. In Jerusalem, a talent's about 120 pounds. So somewhere between 86 to 120 pounds, uh, they, say, they say that it is a weight that a normal man could conveniently carry. Now, I don't know what that is today. Maybe three pounds? I don't know. <laughs> but, but back then, you know, these, these men were working all day long with, with, you know, moving stuff around. And some of you still do that. But uh, it, it's, it's a major weight. It's basically giant Pieces of a mountain falling down. What is it? Is it, is it the great deep breaking up? I, I don't think so, but um, it, it's coming down and these things are gigantic. So it's just it, these huge gouges in the earth and, uh, and whomsoever, talking about the stone which the builders rejected is Jesus Christ, but it says, uh, whomsoever shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. And, and that's the kind of thing that's happening. If you get, I mean, let's, if it's not 100 pounds, if it's, no one says it's 100 pounds, it's only 50 pounds. It's only 50 pounds falling out of the sky. It's, it's horrifying. Absolutely. God is shaking this thing up. They say, and I haven't been able to, to verify it, but they say that the atomic weapons that were tested and used uh, messed with the atmosphere to the point where it caused weather changes. And hail, and just major uh, weather patterns that were very damaging. 
And that's kind of what's happening here. God is judging and uh, he is shaking the earth and this stuff starts coming down out of the atmosphere. And so it's just, by the way, Job chapter 15 or 38, I put it in your, in your notes. Uh, It says, hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war. So does God have like a treasure house where he has a bunch of hail stored up? I don't know. So look at, look at the response. Look at the response. We saw it in chapter 16, verse 9. Men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues that repented not. Look at verse 11. Here they are in the darkness that blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and other sores. By the way, what did God say should be done with a blasphemer in the Old Testament? Remember? Here's what he said, Leviticus 24, 16. He that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him. God is fulfilling his own law here by stoning blasphemers. Because we we see, what's their response? Look at verse 21 again. There fell upon men a great hail, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. Wow. You ever think about Invictus? How I, I refuse, I will not bow, I will not bend. Nothing can, that you can do against me. Well, man, there's a time for that. And thank God for POWs who power through. But here, these people are standing against God. Never underestimate the stubbornness of the human heart. It's evil. The best thing we can pray for for ourselves, for our children, is God, help us to have tender, humble hearts to you. God, flush out the rebellion. That rebellion that says, I am not backing down. I don't know about you. I still got it. I thought it was gone. My friend of mine told me, I went down to the altar and gave up all my pride. I thought I gave up my rebellion. I still got it. There's still something in me that says, you ain't going to win, I'm going to win. You know what that is? That's sinful, Adamic nature. That's flesh. And here are these people. They got nothing, but they got their will. And they blaspheme God. They don't ask God to make it stop. They said, bring it, bring it, God. Blankety blank, is that all you got? The heart of man is a scary place. Satanic. And here, they're blaspheming the Lord. With the sun scorching the skin off their back and their tongue swelling with pain from the thirst. Nothing to drink but blood. They're using the tongue that God gave them to blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look at this very quickly. This is an overview of the, of the vials. And we'll close. And, and uh, if you have, uh, uh, let's look at one more verse, Exodus chapter 34, to close on a positive note. Because I want to remind you, if you're a child of God, if you're saved, you're not going to be here for this. 34.10. But look at this. Uh, the first vials poured out on the earth results in a grievous sore. The second is poured on the sea, which becomes blood. The third is poured on the rivers and fountains, which become blood. The fourth is poured out on the sun, which results in great scorching heat. The fifth poured out on the seat of the beast, 
which results in darkness and pain in the darkness. And then we looked last week at the Euphrates drying up, the sixth vial, the waters dry up, and the, the spirit of the frogs come out and convince the armies of the east to come, uh, armies of everywhere, and the kings of the east specifically, to come to Armageddon. And then today, they pour it out on the air. The seventh is poured on the air, and it results in the great earthquake and hail. But I want you to, I want you to note this, that after the, the plagues fell on Egypt, it resulted in the deliverance of Israel. Because you see how God is working here, even in the judgment, he has another chapter that he's writing. Okay, so God is not a God of endings. He is a God of a story that never ends. He's eternal. And so when the chapter comes to an end, he's not saying, bum, ba bum, 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 bum. He's writing a new chapter. So maybe right, right now you think this is the end of the chapter. I'm done. God's done with me. God's never done with you. If you're a child of God, that chapter is coming to an end. And aren't you glad? I mean, this has been an exciting chapter, but it's been rough too. God's got another chapter he's going to write. How do I know that? Because what he has done, he always does and he will do. Look at Exodus 34. Here's the old uh, nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. God gives this promise. Verse 10. Behold, I make a covenant. Before all thy people I will do marvels, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Terrible as in bad? No. Terrible as in inducing terror. You're going to be wowed and awed by what other people are going to be wowed and awed by me with what I'm going to do through you. So I don't, I'm not trying to just put a nice little chocolate coating on this thing. This is a dark, dark time. But keep in mind that while God's sending that sevenfold sun, it's just because the earth's atmosphere isn't ready for it yet in the millennium. What is a terrible curse in the tribulation is going to be a huge blessing when God fixes the atmosphere. When God levels the world, what's he doing? He's preparing for the millennium where all nations shall flow under Jerusalem. What do you know what he's doing? He's taken that, the, the, the map of the world like a blanket and he's shaking it out and smoothing it out. And so you know what's going to happen? Basically, all of your existence is going to remind you of where God is. It's not going to be these huge mountaintops where you forget God because everything is so great. Or these valleys where you forget God because everything is so bad. It's just going to be one continual incline, line upon line, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, up to the very throne of God in Mount Zion. And God, right now, it feels like we're on a roller coaster. Things are good. 18 months later, the bottom drops out. That's what they say. Um, Statistically, the average adult, every 18 months, has a major life change. Up and down. Jerked around. And sometimes, what do we do? We say, I can't deal with this anymore. It's too much. The Lord, he may be shaking out the blanket. But, he, but he's working, and he's working towards an expected end with you. Don't let, don't let the devil or your flesh 
try to write the story that God's writing. Don't let somebody else, your confidant, your your mentor, write a story. Let God write the story. He's writing it. And uh, you may go through fire and water, but God's going to bring you out into a large place. And spiritually speaking, that large place is available to you and I every day. Though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. No, we don't go into the secret place uh, on this earth. I got to get away. Well, it's nice to get away. But you know where God is? God is inside of you. And you get into his word, and his word resonates with the spirit of God inside of you. You don't have to get to a new geographical location. You've got to get to a new spiritual location. Rest in the Lord. Let him fill you up from inside. I can't stand this. Hey, we all feel it. But we can't fix the outside. We've got to go inside. Go to the secret place with the Lord. And let him fill you up from within. And what you'll find is that even when the world is crashing down among you, <clears throat> the Lord says, peace I leave with you, my peace give I unto you, not as the world giveth. Well, what kind of peace does the world give? You need some bath salts, a bath bomb. <laughs> you need some me time. You need to get away. And there's times for that. I'm not criticizing that. But how many of you realize if you don't connect with the Lord when you're out on that trip, when you come home, it's just going to be the same cycle all over again. See, what we're looking for is physically we need a break, but we need, we need to be renewed spiritually. Let God fill you up from inside. And I want to encourage you tonight as we go to prayer to maybe, maybe pray that prayer. Lord, fightings without and fears within, Lord, I'm asking you to give me your peace, the peace of God that can sleep through a storm and, have, and wake rested and ready to serve. God can give that to you.